And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to the Big Football Show, the Athletics Daily Podcast dedicated to Big Ten football. I'm Nicole Auerbach, National College football writer and analyst for the Big Ten Network. And as always on Mondays, I'm joined by Scott Dockerman, our Iowa beat writer, and I like to think of him as our de facto Big Ten staff historian. We're thrilled to be here talking about actual Big Ten football as the league opened its season this past Saturday. And as always, we want to thank you, our legends and listeners, for spending some time with us and adding us into your podcasting rotation. Please subscribe, rate, and review us. Five stars, just like Ari Wasserman's favorite prospects. And... Scott, there were some really impressive five-star, former five-star prospects. We saw some pretty cool debuts this weekend. Yes, we did. Uh, I guess Friday night we saw that four-and-a-half-star quarterback for Wisconsin just uh, do something that we haven't seen in Madison since Russell Wilson in his brief stay in 2011, and that was just completely captivate the college football world. And then, of course, Ohio State, the – uh, you know, came came to play. Let's just say that. And Nebraska hung for a little while, I thought. But man, that was that was impressive. Justin Fields, does he enter your Heisman conversation? Well, it was funny. Um, you know, I, I've had a couple of arguments about that with the group chat over the weekend. Can, can you put him in after one performance just because we know what else he's going to do? I, I think you can. I think you can. But he's got to make up a little ground. Some of these guys have a little bit larger bodies of work. Well, I think 20 for 21, uh, everybody expected it, and then to go out and do it. Uh, you know, I remember five years ago when uh, Ohio State was the consensus number one after their national title, and Braxton Miller was playing wide receiver, and you had JT Barrett and Cardale Jones, and everybody expected this great performance right away. Next thing you know, uh, they went out for a half and didn't play very well. This was the exact opposite of that, and Justin Fields, all eyes in America were watching him, 20 for 21. Um, that was that was mighty impressive. No, no, he's the real deal. Um, and, and we'll get into that game. But I actually think the biggest headline, and, and it was an interesting weekend because obviously we are a Big Ten daily podcast, but the Big Ten was the biggest storyline of the weekend because it came back. And then the weirdest and most entertaining games were, were in Big Ten country. And so, you know, the, the number one, I, I think, result and takeaway of the weekend for both programs was clearly to me Indiana 36 Penn State 35 in overtime I felt like let's just start with what this means for Indiana because to me Indiana had to win one of these games at some point and of course it was going to come down to like a Superman layout stretch that was like goodbye an inch like it it had to, to to break through that streak of beating one of the big dogs in the Big Ten East, beating a top 10 team because they are usually in the top 10. All of those things that Indiana always comes up just short from, it had to be something 
wild, kind of controversial, and crazy like that. I mean, to me, it was it was like almost therapeutic for Indiana football. It was a borderline miracle, <laughs> and it <laughs> happened. And it, but I mean, it, it's not to take anything away from Indiana, but the stretch. Uh, had it been called the other way, it wouldn't have gotten changed. It was one of those where yeah. they called it. The, they called the Michael Penix stretch good for the two point conversion, and there he was. So, uh, but then you look at yards, time of possession, uh, all the mistakes Penn State made. I mean, which really parallels what Iowa did too. It's the exact same game practically, and you just look at this and go, "How did Indiana win?" Well. Tom Allen has shown in a very short period of time to be one heck of a coach because he has them motivated. They play, they play tough. They've got guts. They've got, they do everything right, which is Indiana's problem in the years past was they do one thing right and a lot of things not right. Uh, this in this case, uh, you know, they they kept pounding away and found a way to win. And you know, <laughs> Penn State, uh, you just look at this and, and they're going to be looking at the stat sheet going, how did we lose this game? They outgained Indiana 488 to 211. Um, they doubled them up in time of possession. They had more than 40 minutes. Um, you know, they were 9 of 17 on third down. But when you see two interceptions, including one on their own five, and then you look at, you know, they missed a field goal for the 25 yard line at the end of the half after they recovered a fumble at the, what, eight yard line for Indiana. I just, you know. Indiana made it work. And of course, at the very end, when uh, Penn State could have just ended the game with a simple fall down and instead, <laughs> you know, scored a touchdown to give them life. Uh, it, it just it was wild. It's well, well, that's that, to me. I mean, that sums it up when you when you talk about how did they lose this game? I mean, the, the big mistake that they made at the end of the game was scoring a touchdown, mm -hmm. right? Like, th like, to me, that sums it up perfectly. But I think and, and I'm sure Audrey Snyder will get into this more on our Tuesday show. But to me, it was a lot of the same issues that have riled up Penn State fans throughout James Franklin's tenure, right? Like, this is game management. This is the use of timeouts. Like, what are you coming out with when you have those moments to reset? And it was just, it was so frustrating because there is no reason they should have lost that game, right? I mean, for all, yes, Indiana basically willed itself to win. Tom Allen is building something really special, but Penn State should not have lost that game. And, you know, again, I, I understand, and, and we saw this in the NFL on Sunday too, it's actually really hard to unwire yourself to fall down mm -hmm. and not score a touchdown when yes. you can, when the other team wants you to. Right. Um, but again, that's something like, that's coaching, right? That's drilling into your guys, like how, what you do in situational moments. And situational moments, late game clock management, timeouts, all of these things are have been issues with James Franklin his whole tenure at Penn State. And uh, to me it was just like it was on both sides it was like we've seen this game before, but usually even despite that dysfunction on Penn State's side, like fate goes against Indiana and they would still, you know, come out and win that game and that just didn't happen. But to me, I mean, I, I understand the frustration in the Penn State fan base. Like, I, I would be furious at the same issue over and over and over again in these big games. And their whole season, for all intents and purposes, could end in within eight days of one another. Uh, you know, yeah. loss like this at Indiana, you lose to Ohio State, you're 0-2, you're not going to the, the final, you're not going to the playoff. I mean, if their chance was if they lost to Ohio State and, and then rolled through everything. And yep. Then, beat the West runner-up or whatever, they might have a chance to sneak into that Final Four. You're not going to do that with two losses, especially one of them being to Indiana. So this just, 
<laughs> they're they're going to have to go undefeated the rest of the way, and this just makes them heart sick. And and yes, they've they've been in this position before, though, on the late score part. Uh, a few years ago, I saw a game. I, I was covering a game where if a, an Iowa running back falls down, they kick a field goal, and win the game, and instead scores the touchdown, gives them a chance to win on the game's final play. So, but you know, if you're Penn State and you're this close, this kind of stuff just grabs at you. Even the year that they won the Big Ten title uh, and went to Pasadena, they had that kind of a game against USC. So this is just, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think he's on the hot seat, but I think he, it's just one of those frustrating moments that it's going to take time for the Nittany Lions to get over. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And I think, too, um, you know, they, they're not alone in, in frustrating, you know, starts the season. I mean, they're staring down an 0-2 start. So is Michigan State. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously, the flip side of that is Rutgers breaks its losing streak, lost 21 straight Big Ten games, um, goes on the road, beats Michigan State. Greg Schiano gets his first Big Ten win as a member of the Big Ten. He does something at Rutgers that nobody else can do. Somehow he figures out how to win here. Um, and I think, you know, this was a program as, as someone who does their state of the program series in the offseason, spent time with Greg Schiano. When it goes to a conference-only schedule, I'm thinking, I don't know if they win a single game, right? Like, they, you know, and they're already in the East. So remarkable, but also I think the bigger takeaway is Mel Tucker has his work cut out for him. This is a a mess in, in East Lansing. And even if you want to say that this is year zero because he took over the job so late and there was a pandemic, it's not going to be less frustrating for this fan base to endure. And then, of course, now you've got Michigan coming off of a, a really strong performance. You're looking at 0-2 as well to start the season. Yeah, and it's probably going to be worse than that uh, for Michigan State. I mean, I almost thought both teams flipped uniforms what I watched in the first half. Yeah. I mean, Rutgers looked like Michigan State under D'Antonio. I mean, they looked focused. Uh, they Their defense played really well. Uh, they've, what, forced, what was it, seven turnovers, I want to say? Uh, seven. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just some of the numbers that he had to try to defeat just to get them in position to think differently – I mean, 21 straight losses in the Big Ten, but they were outscored 744 to 164 in those games. I mean, they were not competitive. By an average score, I think it was like 35 to 3. Uh, well, well, they almost, in one game, almost had as many yes. touchdowns as all of last season. I mean, that to me, that's what, no matter how it happens, you're not going to get seven turnovers every year, every week, but... That was still, like, the, the way they scored, responding to their own mistakes. Like, these were things we have, were not used to seeing out of Rutgers. Like, I, I genuinely think, not going not to get too high on it and say it's going to mean X, Y, and Z. But, again, it, it's, it, it's like you said. It's, it's like we've seen from teams that play Rutgers mm-hmm. in the past, right? Like, that, that these mistakes don't spiral. Um, and I, I'm with you. I think Michigan State, you know, it, it's going to be a rough season. It's, it's clear – you know, we, we knew that D'Antonio's recruiting had dropped off and, and all of these other things, um, but they're going to have to figure out a way to manufacture points and, and to stop making those mistakes. That was Some of those fumbles were just not good. Not, yeah. good. not, not that a fumble's ever good, but, no. but still. Yeah, just, it did not look like a typical Michigan State performance because even, even when they've been poor on offense, which has been lately, really the last, for the most part, the last five years, uh, they – they always play discipline and tough, and they might lose a game 14 to 10 and have 100 yards of total offense, but they actually yes. looked, 
you know, like they were, they knew what they were doing. They didn't look that way at all. They looked disorganized. Offense was a disaster for them. Uh, you know, and Rocky Lombardi, who I remember watching as a youth because he grew up in Iowa a little bit, and uh, he was just, I don't know if I could blame it on him, though. I think a lot of it was the players no. around him. And so this was just a disastrous effort. And you think about their crossover games at Iowa, uh, Northwestern at home. Um, you're looking at a schedule where maybe they can pull off the Maryland game, and that's it. And that's something that, I mean, losing to Rutgers is never palatable for, for any team in this league. And, but for Michigan State, right away with the Mel Tucker era, I mean, people are already going to go, uh, should we get a new coach? And, uh, and if they go 1-7 and seven or 0-8 oh this year, which I think at, based on this performance is likely, then he's going to have an uphill climb just to get the, the Spartan nation back on his back going into next year. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, I think a lot of things coming out of this first weekend are kind of recalibrating expectations for for this year and um you know we're going to get to it eventually and I want to know like how much you're buying Michigan because I think that's one where each year we kind of you know we 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 go you know are we really going to go all in on this offense do we think they fixed it but I want to start with with Ohio State first this is a team that we have been waiting to see um they matched them up against Nebraska in a battle of you know the two teams that were loudest about wanting to play this year uh, Nebraska, you know, had a really good first quarter. Um, clearly, they're doing some interesting things with with Luke McCaffrey. He was, you know, lining up as a running back, lining up as a quarterback. Um, but ultimately, Ohio State is the team that we thought they are. And and as you mentioned right out of the top, I mean, Justin Fields was just remarkable. The the spin move that he had to get the touchdown. You know, you watch it in the moment, you're like, that is going to be the highlight. That is mm-hmm. that is what we're going to see replayed a million times. I do wonder, Scott, how concerned are you about what the run game looks like without J.K. Dobbins? Because I think we all knew that there would be an adjustment period. Right now, uh, no, I'm not that concerned, but I want to see him play somebody. You know, Penn State could be a team that, that gives them some difficulty running the football. I mean, they did it by committee the other day, so there were four or five guys that each had what, between 40 and 80 yards. So it just looked like everybody was just kind of moving in to, to find a spot. I, I don't think I'm that concerned about that because, again, they were just doing so much, and they blew out Nebraska you know, in the last three quarters, and it wasn't really anything. I thought Nebraska, for, the, for what Nebraska is and was, it played well, you know, especially yeah. the first quarter. And, and when you look at the final score, it's not exactly – you know, like, wow, you know, I didn't expect that. No, I think we expected that, um, you know, and, and I think Nebraska's a little bit better than, than what I expected, but, but I think we also have to look at what Justin Fields did and what he is. And to do that with all the eyes, there weren't, there wasn't 105,000 people there, but you know, there were, you know, a few million watching him and to go 20 to 21 in his first performance, uh, that's, that's really impressive. And, yeah, I put him number two on my Heisman ballot this week. I, I just thought that's too good to ignore. Yeah, I, I, I also put him in mind. We're starting our Heisman straw poll um, 
you know, with the athletic staff this week, we, we waited as long as possible. And I, I do think for some people, they'll probably need to see a little bit more of a body of work, but um, I'm not worried about him. I'm not worried about him at all. I guess the only thing I'm worried about is, you know, he, you know, what is that wear and tear going to look like when he does take off? Right. And, and, you know, I've heard Urban Meyer talk about, you know, how he can be as a passer with the body of Braxton Miller. Right. And, and, and all of these different pieces to his game, what makes him, um, you know, kind of this, this, uh, mix of all of their great quarterbacks in, in, in recent years. And I buy all of that. I mean, I think he's just phenomenal. He is, he is a joy to watch, but I do, you know, how, how is he going to, when it is easy or he is, you know, going to take off and, and, and carry the ball. What is that wear and tear? When you have a JK Dobbins, you don't have to do as much. And, and so just how he navigates the run game, um, and balancing that with the passing game. You know, we still saw some of those big moments from the receivers. I'm still really excited to watch them um, as a passing attack. But basically, I mean, I'm with you, kind of like business as usual coming out of that. I mean, it was it was what we expected. This is a national championship contender team. And, and I'm with you, too, that I think Nebraska is a little bit better than I was expecting. And um, certainly to, to put a scare, I mean, well, I don't know if we want to say put a scare, but, but to keep it close and, and to come right out of the gate the way that they did um, and the way that they're using both quarterbacks, I think is interesting. I mean, there was one point where the broadcast was convinced that it was a changing of the guard and Luke McCaffrey was taking over and then Adrian Martinez came right back in. So I think that that's something that could could linger for a little while, how they, how they figure out how they want to use those quarterbacks. If there is a concern I have for Ohio State and Nebraska point-wise didn't show it, but stat-wise it kind of did was, I mean, Nebraska rushed for 217 yards. And that's a, that's a dangerous number because if you go against a team that has a little bit slower tempo and they have similar results, then your defense is going to be gassed. Your defense is going to be on the field for a while. And, you know, okay, Justin Fields was 20 for 21. What if he's 10 for 21, you know, and, so, and the other team plays good defense? Plus, uh, Nebraska was 16 of 20 through the air. I mean, they completed 80% of their passes. And uh, so I, I really think this is, um, you know, I, I don't, I would not say this is a concern for Ohio State. They lost a lot of really good defenders. I mean, Chase Young was a generational pass rusher, even in this league. Uh, but I think that it's, uh, I think there's a lot that they can work on and get better at Ohio State. And then conversely, Nebraska you know, they lost a lot up front too. They're, and they got to play Wisconsin this week. And that's going to be, uh, you're going to see if they are really truly improved defensively because, you know, 52 points against Ohio state, they're going to score 52 on a lot of teams. Uh, but uh, if, if Wisconsin scores 52, that's going to leave skid marks all over your top of your helmet. Yeah. And, and I think that um, as, as we mentioned, I mean, with the way that Penn state started, takes a little bit of luster out of that game against the Buckeyes next week. Um, and, and I'm kind of thinking that we're going to all end up talking ourselves into Michigan. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I feel it already starting to happen, and that's not just the Michigan grad in me. That is just the way that people reacted to seeing Joe Milton and seeing so many different players get involved in the run and the passing game for Michigan. It was like, oh, this is what Josh Gaddis wants to do, right? Like, this is what the offense can be and can look like. And you know, I don't want to get too high because Minnesota did lose a lot more than I think people gave them credit for. Like, they didn't have that many seniors, but they were leaders. They were key positions. Um, they were down a couple of guys and specialists due to COVID. 
But to me, I, I can see us talking ourselves into this year being different for Michigan and Michigan being the team that has the best chance to actually push Ohio State this year. Yeah, it's awful early, <laughs> just because I think the last ever since Harbaugh got there, you kind of everybody's kind of put into that. Oh, is this the we, year? Is this we the do, year? we do it every year? Yeah. Yes, this is the this is that time. We're here. It's 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 late October. It's time, Scott. Yeah. I guess we're later in the year than normally we would do this, but no, this usually it's September when we would start talking ourselves <laughs> into Michigan. No, I I do think that uh, Michigan, you know, probably had the best weekend because of the opponent it was facing. It was facing another ranked opponent on the road. Nobody was there, but that's par for the course half the time at Minnesota anyway. <laughs> Just depends on the year. Uh, but I, I do think that everybody was a little bit too high on Minnesota going into this year. I mean, they won 11 games, but really their only win of value until the bowl was Penn State last year. They lost a they lost at Iowa decisively. They lost at Wisconsin decisively. And if you'd ask them, those are the two games that they hate losing the most. Uh, and then defensively, they lost a ton of players. And Antoine Winfield, you cannot uh, – there's no replacement for him. He's, he's as good as they've – there has been a D-back in the, in the Big Ten in a few years. So uh, now offensively, they still showed they could do some good things, the, the Gophers. I mean, Rashad Bateman, Tanner Morgan didn't play his best. And they, they have a big offensive line, and they're going to beat some teams and probably some good teams. But I think what Michigan showed me offensively, and I think that's what everybody's waiting to see, is what can they do offensively? How can they not only keep control of the ball and win the up front, but as you mentioned, quarterback, Joe Milton. Every quarterback that Harbaugh's had, he's, he's brought in via transfer, whether it's Jake Rudock or Shea Patterson. Now you've got your own guy, and he's the one who beat out uh, Luke, uh, Dylan McCaffrey. Dylan, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and, uh, so he, I think right now that it shows, you know, seven straight possessions with a, with a touchdown, I think it was, that's, that's really incredible. So I think right now we're looking at Michigan because you always want that counterweight to Ohio state. If it's Penn state, great. If it's Michigan, great. If it's Wisconsin, great. Or anybody else wants to step up, but <laughs> Penn state didn't look the part the other day. I do think you're going to get their best effort this Saturday. I do think they're going to come out and play, uh, but. Michigan seems to be the, the proper counterweight. And, well, if that's the case, then we're all the better for it. Well, and I think, too, you know, I, I think you're absolutely right that we kind of you, – you want that to happen. You want someone to, to, to rise up and challenge Ohio State. And, and it's really hard because right now there's a reason that it's Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama every year, and, and Oklahoma and Georgia. Like, there are only – a few programs that are recruiting and developing and playing at a certain level. And, and it's really hard for other typical blue bloods in those leagues or basically the entire PAC 12 to keep up. Right. I mean, it's, and, and those teams aren't coming down. And, and I think that that's what you're waiting. So you're like, okay, Michigan, you know, we've seen what, you know, Don Brown can do. And, and Dan, Don Brown had his moments as well against, against Minnesota mm-hmm. and, and Tanner Morgan. Um, but I, but I think too, you know, it's really just, um, it's, you need a quarterback to get to that level. There, there's no way that you're going to beat an Ohio state or, or even stay in these games. Cause there's been some blowouts in recent years without a great quarterback who, who's not going to make mistakes, but also going to really put pressure on those Buckeyes, especially in the secondary. And so I think, um, you know, that's obviously just going to be a storyline, you know, is Michigan for real and, and are we buying them and, and can they keep this up? Um, but there was a lot of buzz coming out of camp about about Joe Milton, um, you know, especially, as you said, when he beat out Dylan McCaffrey and kind of opened some eyes there. 
And, you know, I, I, I just think it's going to be really interesting to keep up. And, and then Harbaugh getting rid of the khakis, that was also really shocking. <laughs> I mean, this maybe this is a turning point for the Michigan program. They're just going to look different offensively, look like per, physically different on the sidelines, no khakis, like what those shoes were. I don't know what was happening, but um, it was strange. It was strange for, for, for a man that we are used to seeing wear the exact same thing every <laughs> single week. Same Lululemon khaki pants. It, it, it was jarring. Yeah, yeah, that is a little different. For, for <laughs> Harbaugh's a different guy anyway. You, know, you got to almost have to have a different tolerance. And then when he has a one, that's when people have gotten really upset here. You know, as you know, you're a grad. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think that I, I think he's put a, together a pretty good program. I think it's easy for people to say, oh, he's not measuring up. It's time to get rid of him. Well, Ohio State is better position since urban Meyer got there than they even were under Jim Tressel because with Jim Tressel Mm -hmm. they competed with a lot of teams at an even level and sometimes it allowed the other team to to square off I mean I remember you know Illinois beating them and and Iowa beating them and teams like that that it was it was pretty close Um, but now their recruit level is up so high it's hard for anybody to catch up, as you mentioned. And, and, uh, and the, or, the only way to do that, defense doesn't win championships anymore. So we got to forget that adage. It helps, but it doesn't, you know. And then you, there's two things that I noticed out of Michigan. One is too aggressive on defense that enable crossing routes with elite wide receivers to get open and make big plays. And two, We have seen that many, many, many times to, in uh, uh, yep, the game. Right. And then the other part is quarterback. And uh, Ohio State's had, what, probably the three best quarterbacks of the decade, you know, in Fields and Barrett and uh, Braxton Miller. You know, Michigan hasn't had anybody even in probably the top 15. So that's uh, maybe Denard Robinson. Maybe I'm not. I should, yeah. Well, yeah, but again, I mean, again, Urban, Urban's saying, and again, we, you know, he's, he's going to pump up Ohio State, but he's saying, you know, you've got Justin Fields basically across between Braxton Miller's body and Dwayne Haskins arm I mean you you can't you're not gonna have you're not gonna be able to beat a guy or hang in a game like that without a great quarterback and and we'll see we'll see about Joe Milton um but I want to shift gears over to the west um because I want to talk about the game you covered because I think this was also again there were a lot of surprising results in the Big Ten but Iowa losing to a Purdue team without their head coach Jeff Brom was out isolating because he tested positive for COVID and without their best player, Rondale Moore, who was unavailable. And they still win the game. And I, how? How and, and what do I make of, like, how, if I'm a, an Iowa fan, which we, I know we've got them listening to this podcast, how worried am I with that result? And the way it came, like you said, at the end of the game, kind of snatching it from, uh, snatching defeat from the jaws of victory, whatever it is. I mean, both, both, both ways you say that phrase technically work in a game like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I guess I would start by saying, um, uh, Iowa had some challenges on defense. It's two of its starters were out. Um, it's middle linebacker. They've lost four linebackers since June one transferred. He was the strength coach's son. Another one opted out who had 23 starts and then two more went down this week, so they were down to you know basically two linebackers that who have ever played, and so they were struggling there. But that said, you know when you throw Rondale Moore into it, there's really no crying allowed for Iowa in that situation. Uh, penalties: uh, Iowa was ranked third in the country last year in penalty yards per game, with like 30 on average. They had 100. 
two critical fumbles, both inside uh, Purdue's uh, 30-yard line. And one was uh, right at the 10. Again, it, the yardage added up. They had almost 200 yards rushing. Uh, they were able to do whatever they really wanted to do offensively, but penalties and turnovers really killed them. I mean, in a lot of cases, it was real similar to what Penn State endured. And then, uh, you know, the one player that I think people need to really take notice of is David Bell. Um, just an incredible talent. Um, he's an Indianapolis kid. He plays for Purdue. 13 catches, 121 yards, three touchdowns. Can get open. He's physical. He's tough. Um, he doesn't have the the star power, per se, that Rondell Moore does, but he's he's a first-round draft pick. And uh, But then, you know, Purdue kept under its hat, you know, who the quarterback was, and Aiden Connell had a really nice game, too. And and they had a big physical running back, running me kind of of baby Mike Allstott. <laughs> you know, Xander Horvath, what a name. That's That sounds like a linebacker name, but he was their big fullback type, and there he was. I, I mean, so I think – I don't think Iowa should be that worried because I think we've we've seen them early in September always find a way to struggle until they get things figured out, and that's usually a week or two later. But that said, losing to Purdue is never palatable. So they're they're it's going to be a, a nasty fan base until they play uh, their old friends Northwestern this week. But Northwestern has an offense now, Scott. <laughs> they just scored forty three points. They've got a new offensive coordinator, Mike Bajakian. They have a quarterback from. From from uh, Indiana, Peyton Ramsey, they won forty three to three over Maryland. I mean, I like to me the West. And last year, I remember thinking it was pretty wide open. And then you know, obviously Minnesota had the season they did. Purdue had all those injuries. Iowa was Iowa, but maybe the West is going to be even weirder this year. I mean, if Northwestern truly can score touchdowns, which hasn't been necessarily the case the last few years. That is going to throw a wrinkle into all of the plans, like you just said, where, you you know, a Northwestern game is like a get things right game. You know, I think any team could beat any team, and that includes Wisconsin. I, I thought Graham Mertz was, was special the other day, but I didn't see the, the typical Wisconsin offense and defense for that matter. Uh, but I look at, you know, Northwestern, I mean, 100 wins for Fitz. I mean, that's a pretty big deal, I think, for him especially. But, you know, 43 points. Last year they averaged 16. Uh, they were dreadful. You know, they had 537 yards. That's 240 more per game than they had last year, which was 123rd in the country. So this was unbelievable the way they came back and to do this this was in Rutgers winning territory for me is how uh, how they played so uh, I was very impressed uh, and you even last year their defense played well they just could stay off the field because the other the other team you know they were three and out pretty much every possession so but I think the West anything can happen I think Iowa could bounce back this week and, and beat Northwestern I think Nebraska could beat Wisconsin and and I think Minnesota could come back and win. So I, I think anything can happen, which will make it very interesting, fun, and very difficult to predict. Yeah, absolutely. And, and as you mentioned, coming out of it Friday night, um, you know, Wisconsin wins 45-7 over Illinois. Graham Mertz, um, quite a debut, 20 of 21, 248 yards, five touchdowns in his debut. So that pretty much wraps up all the the games themselves in in a very interesting and eventful opening weekend. But before we go, we have to talk about I think one of the strangest things that happened this weekend. 
was Ryan Day apologizing to Scott Frost in Nebraska for scoring a late touchdown. I understand that these guys have been buddies, that they have fought to bring back Big Ten football together. You had Scott Frost last week saying that he would be rooting for Ryan Day and Ohio State in every game except this one. But come on, Scott, this is this is big boy football. This is this is big. T- like I, to me, I I don't think you ever need to apologize for something like that. Well, sir, something that Woody Hayes didn't do when he uh, said he he would have gone for three. <laughs> you know, against Michigan yeah. to get 50 points 50 years ago. So, uh, but I understand the sportsmanship aspect of that, which is, nah, we probably should have scored. But then again, you're right. You're in the Big Ten. Score your he had a fre- He also had a freshman quarterback in there. You're getting somebody reps. I don't know. I, I didn't really have a problem with it, especially understanding that Ohio State is going to need style points this year. They have less games. Yeah. They, they're going to need to look good doing it. And, and plus, we're talking about a run. You know, we're not talking about a pass. You know, if, yeah. if, if you were throwing a, you know, a, a halfback option pass and you're up uh, 45 to 17, then that's probably a little bit much. But that said, again, you got to stop it, too. Uh, and, you know, you got a young kid in the game. He wants to score. So he did, you know, 18 seconds left. Um, I, I don't have that big of a problem with it, um, you know, unless there was some reason for it. But even then, that makes the game more interesting. So I'm not going to complain. Yeah. No, me either. And and again, listen, I get it. They were they were they were teammates all all off season, and you know, especially from August and September on. Um, but yeah, he said he was gonna even call Scott Frost and and apologize, contact him directly. Just don't think you need to do it. I I think we need more vitriol <laughs> in college football than less. That's that is going to be something I'll be very consistent about on this podcast, Scott. I will always if you can. Take a shot at somebody and 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 get under their skin a little bit. I say do it. Well, that's not going to be a problem out this way. I can guarantee that. <laughs> <laughs> now, now not having Kinnick Stadium with the small sidelines in America, uh, having a game that will be a, a godsend for Fitzgerald this week because I don't think anybody's ever absorbed more heat than P- Fitzgerald from the time when he was a player to now as a coach at Kinnick Stadium with seven yard sidelines, but. Uh, he'll, <laughs> I can't wait to actually ask him about that, but uh, that's you'll see you'll see quite a bit uh, in I think both east and west when they start playing each other. Yeah, well, and and before we wrap up, Scott, I did want to want to hear what it was like to to cover a game in in this this season, this era. What what was it like? It's been different. I've covered games now at Iowa State and now at Purdue, and uh, you know Iowa State had some fans for its game against Oklahoma and. Uh, Purdue, just a few, just parents. Um, it's it's just it's it's odd. It just has an eerie feeling to it. You're walking in. There's no band. I mean, it was a beautiful day on Saturday. It was in the mid 50s. The sun was shining. The fall foliage was everywhere in West Lafayette and Lafayette, Indiana. Uh, and yet there were there were there's nobody there. There was nobody outside yeah. of Mackey Arena or Brassade Stadium. And uh, the, the drum didn't come out, and you know all that stuff. It was just. Uh, it was it was just kind of a but but once they started playing you really didn't notice it was kind of like mm. watching a game on TV right now you don't really notice that there's no fans there you just keep you just yeah. keep watching and that was kind of the same way at West yeah. Lafayette on Saturday yeah that that's one thing that I've heard I did a story on sideline reporters and you know the people are doing crowd noise and and once the game gets playing and you kind of forget that all that other stuff isn't there 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 is that sense of normalcy and I think you know, one thing just to keep in mind with all of that and, and, you know, we've seen it play out already is 
it's hard for home teams to to really have home field advantage. Like that that energy that you normally pull from those the actual crowd and people and and you know you can you can amp in you can you can put crowd noise in you can make it get louder on third down and things for your opponent but it's not quite the same so um that's actually something i i do think you know everyone should pay attention to moving forward because i do think you're going to see potentially a lot of upsets or near upsets on the road because you know it's 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 not that different than playing at home well yeah i mean communication now is easier for the uh you know for the offense on road environments. Uh, so you might see, you know, places like, you know, Kinnick stadium or camp Randall stadium are, are two places that play people hate to come to play. I mean, especially yeah. in high profile situations and yet there's no atmosphere. It's just like, you might as well. It's a Penn out. state. It's a Penn state whiteout game mm-hmm. with no fans. Right. Just, it's going to be weird. It's going to be weird, but we are glad that football is back. We are glad we have actual football to dissect, and we are excited um, for the rest of the week of shows as well. Don't forget to listen tomorrow, Tuesday. You've got Bill Landis, Audrey Snyder, breaking down the always interesting Big Ten East with, just as we all predicted, uh, Indiana and Rutgers tied for a share of first place in the East. So, Scott, I will be very excited for for Audrey and Bill reacting to, to that sentence. Truly. I can't wait for the Clemson Rutgers uh, game in the Sugar Bowl this year in the Final Four. (laughs) (laughs) Me either. Well, thank you guys for listening to the Monday edition of the Big Football Show, the Athletics Daily Podcast dedicated to Big Ten football. I'm Nicole Auerbach. He's Scott Dockerman. And we will talk to you next week.